Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Sarah. This is Micah. We're the lead pastors at the Vine Church, and we are excited to be together today. Just want to let you know a couple things uh, coming up. One specifically, we have a spring cleaning workday, a work party coming up Saturday, uh, March 20th. We love spring cleaning, right? I love it. It's a blast. We're supposed to be 63 and sunny that day. It's going to be awesome. So we'd love for you to join us. Uh, check our our Facebook or our website for more information. But please um, put that on your calendar. Absolutely. So we had a cool experience here a few weeks ago. Um, years ago, I was a youth pastor. Um, and for, what, 11, 12 years, I was a youth pastor. And um, uh, one of our favorite events of the year was uh, church camp in the summer, week-long church camp. And uh, I used to direct a camp for teenagers, and uh, there was uh, a lot of fun people came through the camp over the years. Um, but there was this one kid that I liked so much. His name was Boone, and he is one of the most talented and humorous people I have ever met in my life. Uh, years later, uh, he ended up working on staff with us, and um, just an amazing guy. And a, a couple weeks ago, we turned on a, a show on the TV, and there was Boone. It's like, what? Well, we know that guy. Yeah. There was Boone. It's called uh, Lego Masters, and the whole premise of the show, it's one of those comp reality competition shows, was that these teams were building these massive displays out of Legos. And it was, you know, I've dabbled in Legos with my girls. Nothing, nothing compared to what they were doing, what they were creating really were just pieces of art. It was incredible. Anyway, as we watched them, we noticed how um, they were given a challenge. For example, one challenge was a six-foot bridge that they had to create out of Legos. But each time they're given a challenge and then they come up with a vision um, they draw, sketch it out, and then they start building. And they always started, or at least the teams who were successful, always started with the foundation. And they would talk about, okay, is it strong enough? And then they would talk about the structure. And they focused on foundation and structure before adding all the super creative little elements. And that really was important to their success. So today we're going to start a new series. And what we're going to talk about is the found, some of the foundational elements of our faith. We're going to be talking about the mission of God. Now, many of us are familiar with the biblical story. And as we've heard it, it probably goes something like this. In a miraculous turn of events, Jesus is born into the Israelite nation. And Jesus grew up and he did miracles. And then he spoke often about the mission or uh, the kingdom of God. He mm -hmm. spoke time and time again about this kingdom of God. Uh, and the seemingly upside down kingdom, it operated in entirely different ways than the kingdoms of this world. Uh, in the kingdom of God, there was blessing and opportunity for the poor, the meek, the hurting. It's a kingdom of peace and hope. The kingdom of God is not far off, he said. Instead, this kingdom is being ushered into this world here and now. After Jesus' re resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the church was invited into the mission of God. Uh, and as in God's covenant with Israel, uh, God determined to work through his people to bring about reconciliation and transformation in this world. And the church was to be a primary agent. And we are the church today. Now, uh, what's interesting about that telling of Scripture is that represents one-third of the biblical narrative. 
one third of the biblical narrative. And yet it's quite often, now it is a climactic moment and uh, incredibly significant. Uh, in no way do we want to downplay that aspect of the story. However, the first two thirds of the Bible, the Old Testament, is foundational and integral to our understanding of who Jesus is, who the church is to be, the way God works in this world, and the way he works with humanity. So today uh, we rewind, we go back, and we're going to talk about the mission of God in terms of Old Testament theology. Last week, if you joined us, if you were with us, we told the story of the Vine Church and where where we've been. We look back to, to remember where we've been and how God has been faithful and to identify here in this season, this brand new season here in this neighbor, new neighborhood, uh, where we're at and looking forward to the future. Um, and we reflected on God's faithfulness. We reflected on how God was present with us. We also reflected on how our story is just one small piece, one small part of a larger story, of God's bigger story. And so today we want to dive in to that story, which revolves around the mission of God. And we're specifically looking at the very beginning. So scripture begins, in the beginning, God created. And it tells the story of God creating the land and the sea and all of the animals. And then it tells of God creating humanity. And he takes special interest in creating humanity in his own image. He, the story tells of him breathing life into human beings and then inviting humanity into this special relationship with him in which they would walk with him in this pristine garden in which they would live in relationship with the God who lovingly created them. That is the beginning of the story. And so we're at chapter three now. So at the very, that's the beginning of the story, but not very far into scripture is Genesis three, a story often called the fall. And this is a critical moment in the story where humanity chooses to go their own way instead of listening to God. When faced with a choice to listen to the voice of their beloved creator who had created them and was walking with them, they chose instead to listen to the voice of the, the serpent. God had told Adam and Eve not to eat from the fruit, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, evil or that they would surely die. And both Adam and Eve chose to eat from this, uh, from this tree. And the consequences were, were quite serious, both for Adam and Eve and for humanity. Sin came into the world and with it came death and pain and evil. And the rest of scripture from this point on is the story of God pursuing healing for creation. It's the story of God wanting to redeem creation, to rescue and save creation. And so at, at this moment, God could have just stepped back and walked away. Uh, but in his divine love and power, God chose to move in even closer. And his mission became to heal and to restore and to love. And, and so this pursuit is called is what we're, we're calling the mission of God. So from chapter 3 through chapter 11, we read about just the chaos in the world, the evil, the sin, and the harm that it's causing on the world and humanity and all of these things. And it's in chapter 12 
that really uh, that the narrative that is the Old Testament begins as God invites a man named Abraham into a covenant relationship with himself. That is a covenant relationship in which both parties are to play a particular role, an agreement between God and this man, Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 reads like this. The Lord said to Abram, to Abram, his name at the time, um, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God enters into this covenant relationship with Abram uh, with um, two primary purposes. Uh, his, his mission, again, to bring healing in this world and to reconcile himself to humanity. That is to bring humanity back into relationship with himself. And God, like in the Garden of Eden, doesn't do anything in isolation, but in, invites humanity into the story, invites Abram into this covenant for two purposes. Number one, that the Israelite people, uh, the Jewish people, Abraham's descendants, would be a light to the nations, that uh, through God's interaction with them, the nations would come to see and understand who God was. And secondly, uh, that um, through the uh, people of Abraham, the Israelite people, God's blessings would flow into the entire world, into all nations. So as we look at this covenant, it's important to note that this was not God showing favoritism to one specific nation over other nations. This was not God valuing one nation over other nations. Sometimes we read the Old Testament, we misunderstand the nature of God. God is love. God exists in loving relationship three, this mysterious three in one. And God is righteous and God is just and God is holy. God opposes evil in the world. So how do we understand this covenant made specifically with Israel? Well, this covenant, this covenant with Israel is born out of God's mission. And God's mission is to redeem and restore his beloved creation. So through Israel, God is going to bring about healing and restoration for the world. So the story of the Israelite people continues, and we read of them going to this promised land, uh, but then because of famine moving to Egypt, and uh, the people of God, the Israelite people, um, find themselves prosperous, uh, wealthy, growing in numbers in Egypt until a pharaoh comes along who's fearful of their power and the numerous people in his nation. So they're enslaved, and for hundreds of years, the, the people of God, the Israelite people, through whom he's intending to work to transform this world, find themselves in slavery. But God has not forgotten his people. Uh, again, through uh, partnership with people, uh, God invites Moses. Moses invites his brother Aaron to come and free the people from uh, Egypt. And so Moses and Aaron walk into the, this vast nation, the powerful, the dominant power in the world, and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh laughs. But eventually, over the course of 10 plagues, God has convinced Pharaoh that he is God that the gods of Egypt are inferior uh, or non-existent in the presence of God. So the Israelite people are then freed from slavery. And so this story found in the book of Exodus tells the story of a redeemed people, 
uh, uh, people that have been brought out of hardship or slavery and being led towards a new life and new purpose in this world. When God brings the Israelites out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, God renews his covenant with Israel, saying, you will be my people and I will be your God. There is this uh, specific passage in Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6, that I'd love for us to read together. This is God speaking to Israel. God says, you yourselves have seen. Um, you, are, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There's so much packed in these few verses. God says, I will care for you. I have cared for you. I have, he uses this analogy. I've carried you out of Egypt's on, on the wings of eagles. I don't know if about you, but when I read that, I think of the Lord of the Rings. The eagles are coming to save the day. I don't know if you get that picture or not. I do. But God uses this image as like an eagle. I'm, I carried you, um, to safety. And he says, if you obey and keep my covenant, if you are people wholly committed, to, to this, uh, to God, wholly committed to me, then you will be my treasured possession out of all the other nations. Now, why would God say that? Because we were just talking about how God doesn't show favoritism. So what does he mean by that? He goes on to say that the whole world is mine. The whole world is my beloved creation, but you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the priest's job was to be the liaison between people and God, to be the mediator, the connector, um, to, to, to help people connect to God. And God is saying, you, Israel, will be a kingdom of priests and you are to be a holy nation set apart for divine purpose. Yeah. So, you know, it's easy to read the Old Testament, as Sarah mentioned earlier, and read it as God liked the Israelites most. These were his people, his special people. And they did play a very special purpose in the mission of God. However, uh, their blessing was not for their own sake, but for mm -hmm. the sake of the world, so on and so forth. And, and Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 through 19, um, help kind of enlighten uh, us on this paradox that God has chosen a people yet not because he loves them more for the sake of the world. In fact, Deuteronomy 10, 14 says this, and, and the first portion speaks to God's relationship with Israel. It says, um, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, speaking to the Israelite people. And he chose you, their descendants, above all nations as it is today. So circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. I can relate to that. I woke up with a crick in my neck. So he speaks to the Israelite people saying, you, uh, you are the chosen people. But then listen to what the passage goes on in 17 through 19 to say, for the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality 
and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So speaking to Israel, there is this clarification. Yes, you are a chosen people, but understand God's love is not exclusively for you, but instead for the whole world. God loves humanity, and you too are to love humanity. I hope that sparks something in us, if this is a new concept, uh, that, that we recognize a God who loves all humanity, including the God of the Old Testament, and a God who invites his people to look mm. outward in love towards others. In Numbers uh, chapter 6, there's uh, this beautiful passage about God's blessing over Israel. I want to read that for us today. Um, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. I love that. I love this idea of, of God blessing and caring for and God being with his people, but it doesn't end there. No. So there's this aspect of God loves them and he is for them. But uh, Psalm 67 goes on to share a similar concept. In verse one, it says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Again, speaking of us, but then it goes on. So that your ways, God, may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. What a beautiful shift in our understanding. A beautiful shift to recognize a God who is working through people to invite all people of earth into his presence. So today we're, we're talking about God being a missional God. And this is where we're going to begin our series. Because understanding that God is a God of mission, a missional God, is foundational to how we understand the story of God. This larger story that we are invited as a church to participate in. It determines how we understand God's invitation to join him in this story, to, to participate in his story. It has a profound impact on how we understand who Jesus is and his life and his death and his resurrection it has a profound impact on how we operate as a church. Um, and this is what we're going to explore in this series. How does the mission of God, what is the mission of God and how does it affect what we're doing here today. And so our invitation today um, in this first in this first session, our invitation is to, to just zoom out and to consider the larger picture here, the God's story, and to contemplate um, God as a God of mission, a missional God. Mm -hmm. Let's pray about that. God, thank you uh, that you are a God of 
love, a God who loves all humanity, all nations, all colors and creeds. God, whatever it is that we draw lines or divide uh, over, God, thank you that that is not your agenda, but instead that you are inviting all people into your loving presence. And so, God, today as we look at the Old Testament, I pray that you will realign our perspective and our understanding to see that since the beginning it has been your intention to walk in harmony with humanity. It is your desire uh, to live in reconciled, in a whole relationship with people. And I pray as followers of Jesus, as your people, that you will help us to be agents of that kind of love and change in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we want to leave you with a song, and it's kind of a different song today, but it's a song uh, taken from Numbers 6, and it's called The UK Blessing, or The UK Did This. There are churches that came together um, in the United Kingdom during this pandemic. Many of you may have seen this video because it went viral, to just sing a blessing over that nation. And I thought it was just a beautiful, beautiful uh, sentiment. So if you'd like to check that out, go ahead. And today in our live gathering, as we listen and reflect, we recognize that God has blessed us, that God has invited us into special relationship, but we're also reminded that that special relationship and blessing is for the sake of others. Hey friends, Bye. thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that you have a blessed week. See you soon. Bye.